You grab your Bible and open up to the book of Colossians. And uh, for the last four months, four months, we've been digging through verse by verse the book of Colossians. And, and so if you are new, if you're visiting today, you're, you're, you're jumping in on the very tail end. We're wrapping it up today. Come back next week. We're actually starting a new series through the Gospel of Mark. So you want to be here early for next week. Uh, we've spent 17 weeks hitting uh, the first three chapters of Colossians. And now chapter four, we're doing it all in one day. All right? We've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, but I think that's going to help us because actually we're going to take a step back and see a little bit more of the bigger picture. Uh, there's a lot of names here, a lot of details, a lot of people, and we're not going to get lost in the weeds this morning. We're, we're going to take a little bit of a step back, see the big picture of, of Paul. See, he's, he's writing to, to the Colossians and, and exchanges greetings with, with 10 different people, but, but I don't think really the text is so much about the people as, it, as it's helpful for us to really get behind the scenes and understand Paul. And, and who he is, and, and what's important to the life and person of, of Paul. What, what are the priorities that he has? So that's what we're going to be doing this morning, highlighting uh, priorities of the Apostle Paul. Um, for me, Colossians, it's, it's, I think it's been my favorite sermon series here at Harvest. It's been so, so good. I've loved it. I think I've needed it. I think as, as a church, we've needed this truth. And uh, it's... It's been heavy, hasn't it? Oh, man. I mean, week after week, I mean, just Pastor Doug taking us to the mat. And what's been so hard, I just, just, just so convicting and, and, and challenging and encouraging is I feel like I'm going home on Sundays and I'm looking in the mirror and just brutally honest, right? I mean, there's things that I, I think, right? The things that I, I say I believe, things I, I know I believe it, but when I look at my life during the week, are these things really actually happening? It's been, it's been hard. A couple of weeks, I felt like I walked out of here and I got, I got hit by a dump truck. You know that feeling? Anybody else have that feeling? I came back the next week and the dump truck was still here. It backed up and then it hit me again. It's been some hard things in Colossians, but it's been good. It's been so good. And uh, what about you? Have you been changing in Colossians? I didn't say challenging. Are you changing in the book of Colossians? I mean, we, we can't just pour over the word week after week and just see the, the magnificence of Christ, the, the supremacy, the authority, the preeminence of, of who Jesus Christ is and, and, and not be changed by it. Uh, this has to be growing and changing us to become more like him. Last Sunday, Pastor Doug walked us through the tree. Remember that? Chapter three, that was so helpful, seeing the process of how it comes together and, and putting off and putting on and, and all of the, the fruit that comes as a result of it. And it's, and it's hard, but it's been so good. It starts in the home. That's what we hit last week, Pastor Doug. It starts in the home. So I'm gonna ask, in your home, are you changing? And has your home been, been growing to be more like Christ? Or are you the same person, same family that walked in here four months ago? Is Colossians changing you? We're going to wrap up today. Big picture of Colossians. Seven priorities of the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're going to start in verse two. First priority, 
Nothing is accomplished apart from prayer. Nothing. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in prayer. Pray with thanksgiving. See, prayer is the bookends of Colossians. We begin chapter 1, write all about prayer. Now, the end of chapter 4, again, he comes back to prayer. Prayer is the bookends. Prayer is what's holding the book of Colossians together. And, and, And here's why. Because we can't do that on our own. Because of the gravity of our depravity, our, our sinful human condition, we don't have it within us to be changing and growing and looking like Christ on our own. We need prayer. So chapter 1, to, to, be, to be knowing Christ, it begins with prayer. Chapter 2, to be thinking Christ, it begins with prayer. And, and chapter 3, to be living out Jesus supreme in our life, it starts with prayer. I mean, wives, hupotasso, right? To, to be submitting yourself to your husband, to, to be living you first, yielding to your... That doesn't just happen. Men, husbands, to be betraying yourself, kissing yourself goodbye, walking the Via Della Rosa, Ephesians 5. We can't just do that on our own. It takes prayer. Parents, too, to be raising your children to leave the home equipped to handle life biblically, we can't do that. It needs prayer. Teens, to be honoring and obeying your parents when it's hard, when you don't want to, it takes prayer. So we can't manufacture this kind of long-term sanctification on our own. We don't have it in us. It takes prayer. I would say prayer is like the the life-giving rain on this tree. See, see, prayer is what's sustaining this, this long-term sanctification. It keeps the process going. It, it keeps the tree healthy. What happens to a tree if it doesn't rain? The fruit falls off. The leaves wither up. The ground gets dry and hard. It goes back to prayer. See, nothing of eternal significance, nothing of, of long-term, true, genuine, becoming more like Christ, growing and changing can happen apart from prayer. Man, we need prayer. Colossians begins and ends with prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I just want to encourage you, if you've been here four months and you've been, man, you've been trying, you've been spinning your wheels trying to change and grow and just being smacked over the head on Sunday and then during the week trying, trying to change and grow and nothing's happening. Listen, stop trying and start praying. We don't have it in us. It begins with prayer. Verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul's sitting here in Rome. He's in house arrest. He's, He's asking, he's praying for three things. Pray that God would open a door. And in this door that, that Paul would, would declare the mystery of Christ, that Paul would make Christ known, and that his words would be clear. See, for five years, Paul has been drug around in, in house arrest, in prison, from city to city. He, he's been held captive as a prisoner in chains. And so when Paul asks for an open door, 
He's not talking about his jail door. He's not talking about his cell door. No, he's not asking for a door to open up so he can just like stroll on out of prison and, and go about his merry way. No, no, Paul's asking for something more than that. See, as a Roman citizen, Paul has been arrested for his faith in believing in Jesus Christ and, and in publicly professing the gospel of Jesus to the nations. And so Paul has been held captive for five years. He's been transferred as a prisoner from, from city to city. And all along the way, he's been appealing his case. He's been on trial. He's been a, appealing his case as a Roman citizen, ultimately so he can get to, the, to Rome, the capital city. So there he can, he can defend his case. He can go to the trial and make known the mystery of who Jesus Christ is to the Roman Supreme High Court. See, that's the open door. Paul is asking for this, this one last chance. He is waiting in jail, asking for this open door. Where, where he can sit down face to face with the emperor of Rome. <laughs> a man who is so powerful, he has the self-title of divinity. He thinks he's God. And, and Paul can share with him the mystery of Christ, that he can make Christ known. That, that Paul can share with a man who thinks he's God the supremacy of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the sufficiency of who Jesus is. And the hope is that he can legalize Christianity for all of the Roman Empire. This is huge. This is an open door. And he's waiting. But these boys are ready. See, they've, they've been doing their homework. Paul's not alone. Paul has with him Luke. Luke, the, the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. See, if you read through the book of Acts, the book of Acts, it's, it's a defense statement. It, it's being prepared for the emperor of Rome, for, for the Roman supreme high court to explain the history, the nature, the origin of Christianity. And so here's Paul and Luke, and they've been building their case. They've been defending their argument. They've been going from judge to jury, judge to jury, and now they're just waiting for this one last shot to sit down with the Roman emperor and to share Jesus supreme. And here's the story. That's the book of Acts. That's the testimony these guys are ready. They are waiting for this chance, this open door. It begins with prayer. I don't think we're ever going to have a chance like that. We're, we're, odds are we're, we're probably not going to sit down with some world leader, right, and share our faith. Not likely. But we have opportunities, right? Uh, every day we have open doors. Verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. The word time can also be translated opportunity, making the best use of every opportunity. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, see we have the same opportunity. In, in every conversation, and walking with outsiders, walking with unbelievers, every conversation, we have the chance to make the name of Christ known. That we can declare the mystery of, of who Jesus is and what he has done, how he has changed us. See, it's not just like name-dropping Jesus, kind of like slipping him into the conversation. It's not just like Jesus is important. Jesus is like notable in my life. No, Jesus is prominent Jesus surpasses all. Jesus is above all. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is, is what my life is all about. Jesus is the only way. 
Jesus plus nothing, man, that equals everything. See, we have that opportunity, walking with outsiders, letting our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, that, that it would be flavorable, that it would be desirable, that it would be appetizing and appealing of how God is at work sharing that story with other people. It begins with prayer. Number two, priority of Paul, people. People are the main priority. If you add up all of the people connected with uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts or in his letters that he, he points out and identifies by name, there are over 100 people connected to Paul. I think a lot of times we, we look at Paul as, as some just like superhero ministry giant like doing his thing, but he was surrounded by a team of people. He wasn't alone. People are a priority. That's a hard question. Are people a priority to me? Think about it. Do, do you value people? Do you make time for people? Are you connected in with other people? Do you even like people? Man, there's days it's hard. Do people annoy you? Are people an inconvenience to just getting stuff done? Are people in the way? Are people a priority to you? At the Carlson household, trash day is on Tuesday. And it is insane how much trash people have in our neighborhood. I hope none of my neighbors are here. It is insane how much trash people have. I, I really try every week to work hard to, to limit it to one trash can, but, but every Tuesday I've got the walk of shame because I'm carrying several bags with me too. It, it's crazy how much... I mean, don't you know the trash man comes around every week? He, he's there every Tuesday. It's not like you have to like save up your trash and wait. He's there every week. There's so much stinking trash. I think I used to kind of judge our neighbors before we had kids. And then we had kids, and now I totally understand how much trash we have. But it just it doesn't go away. It's just week after week, just trash. See, we live in a culture that's a consumer culture. We're consumers, right? We, we, we live with, with access of big box superstores. And, and you walk the aisles in those stores and, and everything is just made to break and throw away, right? Everything's made to be disposable, right? I, I mean, if something no longer adds value or meaning to my life, it's something I don't like, it's something that doesn't fit, I've outgrown it, something better has come along, I, I just don't want it anymore. If, if something's not important to me, it's, it's not sentimental, things are now just disposable, right? Just kick it to the curb and on, tr and on trash day on Tuesday, it goes away. But I think the problem with that mindset with our culture is people are now disposable. Where we, if, if people no longer add value to my life, they're, they're no longer meaningful, they're no longer fun, they're no longer helpful. Maybe I've changed, maybe they've changed. Maybe I just don't like them anymore. They're annoying. We kick them to the curb. I'm just, how many of us have a trash can of thrown away relationships? Listen, people are a priority. People are not disposable. 
Priority number three. Encouragement means everything. Verse seven. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose that that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who's one of you. And they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Look at these words that Paul's writing. Look how he describes these guys. Beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. People are a priority. Paul sent these guys, these two guys, he sent them out over 1,200 miles to do what? End of verse 8. To encourage your hearts. He sent them out over 1,200 miles just to encourage the church of Colossae. That's like walking out our door here and walking to South Beach, Miami, just to encourage them. Aren't you glad we can just send a text? I mean, just thinking about you, love you, pray even for you, just so much easier today. Paul gets it. See, in, in, in ministry, encouragement means everything. Here, the church of Colossae, it's, it's five to six years old, and in this novelty of being new, it's, it's wearing off. Chapter two, legalism is, is creeping in. Uh, asceticism is, is infiltrating in the church. Remember chapter two, the, the deceptive hollow chocolate bunnies, right? They're, they're coming back to the church. And, and it's like here, Paul can just feel this, the slow fade of the Colossians. They're, they're slipping away. And if he doesn't send this letter of encouragement, he might lose them. He might lose this church. See, he gets it. Encouragement means everything. They're getting this letter. No matter what it takes, 1,200 miles through country and country and country, get the letter to them. Tell them how we're doing. Let me know how they're doing. Encouragement means everything. We're not always good at encouraging, right? Some people are. Some people they, just, they, they have the right words. They just, they know what to say. They, they know when to say. I mean, some people, it's, just, it's genuine. It's, it's sincere and just oh, makes a huge deal. Some people are so good at encouraging. But then there's the rest of us, right? Encouraging is really simple. All right. If you think it twice about a person, tell them. That's it. If you think something twice, tell the person. Because I think a lot of times what happens is, is we think encouraging things. I mean, we're just not trying to be grumpy, mean, you know, terrible people. We're, 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 we're wanting to be encouraging. We're, we're thinking encouraging things. But, but when we're thinking them, we need to tell them, right? I, sometimes I just think we assume that people are mind readers, that people know what we're thinking and therefore we don't have to tell them because if we're thinking it, they, they probably already know it for themselves. So we don't say it. So we don't encourage them. It doesn't work like that. Royce, front row, picking on you. I am encouraging you. I am encur- encouraging you. Feel encouraged? No. Uh, it's just weird. It's just creepy. 
Encouragement doesn't work that way. You think it twice, tell the person. Sometimes we, we have this inner dialogue where we think encouraging things and we think encouraging things and we think something encouraging and it's nice to say about that person, but, but we've already had this dialogue take place in our mind, so we don't even say it. We think we've told them, but no, we just keep telling ourselves, hey, if you think it twice, tell the person. Encouragement is so simple. And that's what he's doing here. He's writing this letter of encouragement to the Colossians. Encouragement is everything. We can do it. Number four, number four priority, community is comforting. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, literally the word is is P-O-W, my fellow prisoner of war, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, no, not that Jesus, Jesus who's called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision, the the only Hebrew Jewish men um, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Paul is locked up in in prison. He's been transferred around in custody and chains for the last five years, and he's been surrounded by these other men. Only Paul was arrested. He has to be in jail. The other guys... They check themselves into prison to sit with Paul. They don't have to be there. No one's holding them there. Only Paul has to be there. And Paul is surrounded by these other guys. I mean, can you, can you imagine that? Paul says, they've been, they've been a comfort to me. I mean, these guys are free to go, but, but they're hanging in there. They're, they're, they're sticking it out. They're staying with Paul. I mean, sitting in his cell, it's, it's dark, his his hands, he's, he's bound up in these chains. It's, it's miserable conditions, just a, a rat hole of a kind of place. Paul's waiting for that, oper- that opportunity. He, he's playing the waiting game. And he looks to his left, he looks to his right, he looks right in front of him, he's surrounded by these other men. I mean, these, these guys who've been, been traveling thousands of miles with him, men who've been been beaten alongside of him, men who've been shipwrecked and are swimming next to him. And these guys have been sticking their necks out for Paul. I think one of the things in this passage is just the, the reality of all of these people surrounding the Apostle Paul and the work that God was doing through that and among them and in them and just the encouragement that was there, the, the community that provided comfort that was there. Paul was not alone. Isolation's not healthy. Um, I have a cousin, Zach. Zach is 28 years old. Six weeks ago, Zach committed suicide. Zach was hard to be around. Zach was, he was detached from people. Um, he was awkward around people. It, it was uncomfortable to, to be with him. It, it, was, it was painful to try to talk with him. Zach had, had put up these walls. He, he didn't let people in. He, he was so guarded. He, he was isolated. He moved from his family and friends in Colorado, moved up to Seattle by himself, and he had a couple of roommates, but he just pushed people to the outside. 
He's 28 years old. There, there is no next time. Christmas is different. It's, it's, it's sad for his family, his parents, his brother, his two sisters. It's, it's sad for him. I, I think the tragedy is he didn't have a single person sitting with him. He, he pushed people away. He, he didn't have somebody sitting with him to encourage him, to comfort him, to come alongside of him. He chose to be alone. He, he isolated himself. And isolation is not healthy. I'll say isolation is deadly. If you're hurting, don't hurt alone. Don't hurt alone. I know it may be hard to, to open up, to let people in, to be vulnerable and, and share something, to ask somebody to listen to you, but, but don't hurt alone. Isolation's not healthy. In Genesis, one of, one of the first things that, that God says after creation, it's not good for man to be alone. You read through scripture, especially the Old Testament. I mean, the time that people get in the most trouble is when they're alone. See, God did not design us. He did not hardwire us to be so isolated and independent that we block out community. God made us to be in relationship with him. Just like Jesus is in perfect harmony with the Trinity, so we are to be in relationship with other people. We're not an island. We're not alone. Community is comforting. Priority number five. It's about other people doing ministry. Verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. And give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Again, Paul is is by name citing three more people. And these three people, they're, they're involved in ministry. But they're not pastors, It just means they don't have to do it. They're not paid to do it. They want to do it. They want to be actively serving the Lord, giving of their time, giving themselves in ministry. And and Epaphras, he he came from Colossae. He started the Colossians church. Epaphras, that prayer warrior who's now going out and planting two more churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And, And Luke, the physician, the doctor, who's been traveling with Paul, stitching Paul up after the beatings, the one who's surrounding him and comforting him. Luke, the the defense attorney, who's been researching and investigating and bringing eyewitnesses and and preparing this, this statement of defense to take to the court. Do you know Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else? He only wrote two books, Luke and Acts. But those two books are are more than any other 
author of the New Testament. What if Luke was like, business is good. Early retirement is coming. All right? What if, what if Paul came up to Luke and invited him to go on this, this journey with him? And, and Luke's like, ah, I've got a lot of clients right now. I've got too many customers, too, too many people to take care of. I, Paul, go ahead. I'm going to sit it out. I'll, I'll pray for you, man. I, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. He would have missed it, right? Totally would have missed this. Do you think Luke ever looked back on his life, maybe while he's sitting alongside Paul in jail with regret? Do you ever looked back on his life and, and like regretted joining this, this crazy work that God was doing? I don't think so. See, I think one of the awesome parts of this text and this story is, is God is wanting to raise up people to do ministry. God is wanting to raise up men and women with, with life experience, with, with skill sets, with specialized pro, uh, professions to, to go out and to, to use their gifts to, to share the name of Christ, to make him known, to take the gospel to the nations. It's doctors, it's lawyers, it's church planters, it's stay-home mothers. Look at the end of verse 15, Nympha. She's the only woman listed in all of these names. Nympha, who, who has the gift of hospitality, who, who invites the church of Laodicea over to her house, who, who welcomes in the church, and that is awesome. It's as simple as that, being used in ministry, just inviting people over. And then there's Demas. Verse 14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Parents, what do you say? If, if your child has nothing good to say about somebody, what do you say? Don't say anything at all. That's what's happening here. See, it hasn't happened yet, um, but, but Paul is, is totally silent on Demas. He just says, as does Demas. Everybody else, he talks about him, not Demas. See, it hasn't happened, but, but it's coming. 2 Timothy 4.10 says that, that, that Demas deserted Paul, that, that Demas fell in love with the world and left Paul. And it's almost like here in writing Colossians, Paul sees it coming. Something's going on with Demas. He, he, it's not the same Demas. Like, like he's changing, like he, he's, he's drifting, like, like something's going on there, and, and Paul doesn't really have anything good to say, so... He doesn't say anything at all, as does Demas. Well, let me sum up here quick. State the obvious. So the, the book of Colossians is all about Christ, right? And, and, and here, Paul is, is writing this letter to the church. He's writing this letter to, to encourage them, to instruct them. And Paul is all about people, people with him, people involved with him, people doing ministry alongside of him, other ministry partners. Paul is all about people. And he's about people doing ministry in teams. See, priority six, it's about team ministry. Verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also be uh, read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from the Laodicea. 
you catch that? What's that saying? When this letter, when the book of Colossians has been read among them, have it read with the church of Laodicea and see that you also read the letter from the Laodiceans. Does that mean that Paul wrote a letter to the church of Laodicea? That's what it's saying. The last time I checked my Bible, it doesn't go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Laodiceans, does it? So are we missing a letter here? Are we missing something from Scripture? Is there like some long lost, like mysterious secret letter that's floating around out there? Maybe it was burned, maybe it was buried. We don't have it, it's lost. What if somebody finds it? What if somebody finds the letter to Laodiceans? Do we have to go get new Bibles? These are circular letters. They're shared letters. Just like Colossians will be shared with the Laodiceans, uh, scholars all agree that the book of Ephesians was a circular letter. Ephesians was, was shared with the Laodiceans. We don't have to get new Bibles. We're okay. We've got it. Ephesians is in here. We're okay. The churches shared things. They shared letters. They, they, they partnered together. They realized they were part of something bigger than just themselves. They took offerings together. The Jerusalem collection was taken for, uh, for widows and orphans during a time of famine in the Jerusalem church. Uh, they shared resources. They shared pastors. They shared people. They shared things. That's our story. I mean, doesn't that sound familiar? being a part of something bigger than ourselves. Last night, Vertical Church Band was here. We're a part of that. They were a blessing to us, and, and we were able to be a blessing to them and help them continue in the ministry with other churches. We're a part of that. Last night, Harvest Bloomington, I saw some folks here. Harvest Granger, Harvest Vincennes, other harvests. We're a part of the work that's happening there too. Did you know today, the 10th, church plant in Nepal is being launched with harvest? I don't even know where Nepal is. But we're a part of that. We're a part of something bigger than ourselves. God is doing a work. and He's allowing us to have a front row seat and watching him. Tomorrow, the first of our, our three mission teams, hey, if you want to join them 4 a.m. at the airport, see them off, uh, the first of our three mission teams are going out beyond our walls serving. We're a part of that. We're sending them. God is doing a work and he's allowing us to share and, and it's all about team ministry. We're in this together. Verse 17 says, and to say to Archippus, see, we're, we're Archippus. That, that's us. Say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. We're all called to do ministry. We're all called to be serving in the ministry the Lord has given us. Man, our church family, you guys are awesome in serving. I mean, all day yesterday, late last night, tearing down, cleaning up, setting up. Again, early this morning, there's, there's like 100 people here today helping serve. So awesome. Hey, I want to hear from you guys, the loud, proud shout. I want to hear from some of our ministry teams. 
all right? The, the, the people who make ministry happen, make it possible here. So, so I want to start with the worship team. Worship team. I, I want to hear from you a loud, proud shout. Worship team. <laughs> Man, you are in trouble. Let's try that again, worship team. Do you need a microphone or something? All right. Tech team, let's hear from you. Ushering team. Greeting team. You better be loud. Facility team. They're in the first service. First service. Parking team. Cafe team. First service. Janitorial team. There are a lot more people serving in the first service. I'm just going to say it. Check-in team. Anybody check-in? Nursery workers. Nursery Toddlers, pre-K, oh, God bless the pre-K, K through fifth, wow, Beyond Our Walls mission teams, so many teams. If you consider Harvest your home, join a team, seriously, if you consider Harvest your home church, join a team. Get off the sidelines, stop being a spectator, get a front row seat and be involved in watching God at work. Join the team, sign up, start serving. We need people to step up. Paul's writing this from house arrest in Rome. It's 30 years after Christ. He's waiting for his trial to defend and legalize Christianity to the king and all of the Roman world. He's 1,200 miles from Colossians. He's even further from his home in Jerusalem. He senses the urgency of this time, so he writes a letter. He's writing this this circular letter to be shared with multiple churches. And here we're at the very end, and just before he he puts down his pen, he, he signs his name. He signs the letter. Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Man, that's powerful. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. We've seen so far six priorities of the Apostle Paul. Uh, We've got one more. And this one, this this is the signature of Paul. This is the the life-defining, the the complete sum total, the the all of Paul's existence, what Paul's life is all about, the the one message that that Paul continually wants to remind his his readers. There's one thing. It it all comes back to really one, one point. It's probably the single most important thing that, that Paul writes in his letters. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. At least not yet. I want you to figure it out on your own. Um, we're we're going to step out of Colossians in the big picture. And we're going to see the way that Paul signs his name at every single one of his letters. All 13. Romans through Philemon. Try to figure it out. It's, it's pretty obvious. Try to figure it out. What, what is Paul's biggest priority? What, what is Paul's life-defining signature? For Paul, if he has one thing that he wants to tell you, what is it? Romans 16, verse 20. That the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 1 Corinthians 16, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 2 Corinthians 13, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Galatians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Ephesians, grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Philippians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Colossians, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Second Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. First Timothy, grace be with you. Second Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Titus, grace be with you all. Philemon, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's pretty simple. What's the one thing that Paul wants us to know? Grace. Grace. It's all because of grace. Paul could have, inspired by the word of God, inspired by God, Paul could have ended that, that letter any way he wanted. But every time for Paul, it came back to one final thought. Grace. Grace be with you. See, when, when Paul was, was walking on the road to Damascus and, uh, and Jesus got a hold of his life, the gospel of grace changed everything. Philippians says that, that Christ seized him. That, that, that like Jesus like grabbed him, got a hold of him. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus. Paul wasn't searching for Jesus. Jesus was hunting down Paul and just overflowed him with grace. Grace changed everything for Paul. This this isn't just a little bit of grace. This is grace upon grace upon grace. This grace doesn't run out. (laughs) This grace is poured out. This, this grace is, is piled up. This grace is uncontainable. This grace is without measure. It's without limit. It is freely given, generously given. It's, it's lavished grace. It's grace upon grace. It's grace that restores. Grace that redeems. This is grace that covers sin. Grace that takes the worst possible of all sinners, regardless of their past, their wrongs, their choices, their guilt, their shame, and it redeems. It makes them into a new creation. It's it's grace that's without limit, that's made available, that's new every morning. That kind of grace be with you. It's all because of grace. See, this, this grace that we, we don't deserve, but because of God and his goodness and Jesus and his righteousness, this grace that is now made available to us, that's for us. That kind of grace be with you. To end Colossians, we're gonna remember this grace. As the worship team comes up and the ushers take their place, we're going to have a time of, of communion. 
we're going to have a time of, of celebrating and singing and remembering this, this supreme grace of our Savior. This is the grace that covers, the grace we don't deserve, grace upon grace, grace that's not cheap grace, grace that was poured out for us on the cross. Grace, we, we don't just assume, we don't just take it for granted, it's, it's God's grace. So here at Harvest, you don't have to be a member to participate in communion. We just ask that you be a, a follower, a, a believer of Jesus Christ. That if by grace, through faith, you've received the gift of God, eternal life, confessing with your sin and asking for Jesus to, to pour out his grace upon you to make you a new creation. Hey, we invite you, join with us in communion as we remember the death of our Savior. So take some time, and as the, the ushers are going to come to the aisles, just take some time remembering this grace. You can grab a cup, grab a bread, and then we'll all take together.